Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Okay, Ross, Calvinists and Arminians agree that humans are saved by God's grace alone. But the question we're going to explore today in our topic is how does that grace work exactly? Does God apply grace in advance to allow people the capacity to follow him? Or does God apply grace only to those who are chosen in order to actually bring about their salvation? So we're talking today about the I in TULIP. We've covered the first three, the T, the U, the L, and now we're going to talk about irresistible grace. Yeah, because both sides of the debate agree. We talked about the T and the TULIP, total depravity. Both sides agree that human beings are fallen, that we're plagued by sin, that that no human being is able to to think or will or to do anything good in and of themselves. And that includes believing the gospel, responding to the gospel appeal. And so this way, grace is so, such a huge thing because unless human beings are assisted by God's grace or God's grace comes into play, then nobody could even choose to please God ever. Nobody could choose to believe the promise of salvation that the gospel holds out to people. And both sides agree that grace is absolutely necessary uh, for salvation. But, but the two sides disagree about what is the nature of grace. What is saving grace really all about? On one hand, the Arminians would argue that um, God offers saving grace to sinners, that God uses a form of grace that allows them to choose whether to accept or reject the gospel. The Calvinists would argue that God's grace actually accomplishes salvation for those who are chosen by God for, for the elect. So is grace, you know, is it like who's the author of grace? How does grace work out? How does grace become active in the individual person's salvation experience? That's the, the big question between the two. Okay, so let's start with the Calvinist perspective, and this is where they use the word irresistible. So they say that God's grace is irresistible, which, again, from my in in my view, Ross, this kind of makes sense, right? That they're chosen, they're predestined. So how could they resist the grace? I mean, is that kind of the idea? Yeah, that's the idea. So those you can see that in both sides of the of the um, debate then there's a could try to be a consistency in the way it's all comes together the way that that the people are thinking about it theologically and so the it calvinists are arguing that because of the the election of god god choosing the people then then he they, his grace will accomplish what it sets out to accomplish what god decided will happen will happen and so the calvin the arminian would say no god did not choose or elect any particular people and so, you know, then it's up to the free will about whether or not that will happen or not. So that that's really at the heart of it. And this is when one of the ways that it plays out is this question about the nature of grace. Okay, so then the Calvinist thinks of, or they explain it in terms of two different ways that God calls people to repentance. So help us understand this, Ross. There's the outer call and there's the internal call. What is that all about in the mind of a Calvinist? Yeah, and so this is a good point to bring this out because... 
the outer call and the inner call, both sides would, would understand those things in different ways. Both sides would say there is an outer call. That's the call of the gospel. It's preached. The gospel is preached, um, and it's out there where where the invitation is made by a preacher, by you to your friend, or or whatever that or parents to their children. They're inviting them to faith. That's the outer call that's extended to every person who hears the gospel. The inner call, by contrast, is what's ex- what is how the outer call affects the the heart. How the the words are heard in the mind, but then how does that affect the heart and the will or the choice of the of the individual? And so, for the 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 Calvinists would say, yeah, they believe in the outer call. It's off. It's extended to everybody who hears the gospel. So the outer call is not um, exclusive. The outer call goes out to everyone, and so it can and often is rejected by individuals. But the Calvinists would say that the inner call is only extended to the elect, and it can never be rejected. It always results in conversion. And so that's how the Spirit irresistibly draws sinners to Christ, not just through the outer call, but through the combination of outer call and inner call, that the, that the Holy Spirit is calling you in your heart, and, and you will respond to that if you have been chosen by God to be saved. Okay, so let me ask a couple questions. I, I think our, our listeners are probably thinking the same thing. Okay, so... For do I do I do I have this right that for and for the unelect according to a Calvinist for the unelect they can hear the outer call they'll have the hopefully they'll have the outer call people in their life inviting them to know Jesus maybe they go to church hear a good sermon whatever but they but the unelect those who aren't chosen never ever get the internal call is that do I have that right that that's correct. Because it, it goes back to the Calvinist understanding of total depravity, what it means for a person, let's say, to be spiritually dead. As Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says that we're dead in our tra- transgressions and our sins. <clears throat> because, you know, if you think of the metaphor, if you have a corpse laying there, then you could say anything you want to it, and it's not going to hear. It's not going to respond to any kind of external stimulus or external message. And so they, the Calvinists would say, yeah, just like that, a, a, a person who's not chosen is, or anyone actually is spiritually dead, they're incompa- in, incapable of responding to the inner call or the outer call, either one. They, they have to be brought into a state of spiritual life before they can respond to the call of God. And so that's where the Holy Spirit, cooperating with the will of the Father, gives the gift of salvation to the elect. They are powerless to resist God's grace because this is what actually makes them spiritually alive so that then they subsequently can believe and then be um, regenerated. Um, and so, so they're saying that it, it's so serious, our sinful condition is so serious that there's no way that anybody could respond to the inner call unless the Holy Spirit activates that spiritual life in combination with the inner call. Okay, so so two more questions now, and these are for the chosen. So so can the elect can the elect respond to the internal call without ever hearing the outer call? Right? If it seems like maybe the outer call isn't even necessary then, if the maybe I'm oversimplifying this, if the in if the internal call is irresistible, 
then does does the elect even need the outer call? Yeah, and that's a that's a fair question from a logical perspective, looking at the implications of the system of theology of Calvinism. But I think most Calvinists are probably or governed by the idea that the Scripture says, you know, that we are called to share the outer call. We're called to evangelize, and that God uses the outer call. God uses the message of the gospel preached to bring uh, to affect the inner call. So Cal- even though logically it seems like it's a possibility, Calvinists would say no, it's not really a possibility because God has ordained that things work a certain way. This is the way that God has ordained that he will call um, the people who are who are elect to save, he will call them through the preaching of the gospel. Okay, but what about I mean we've all heard those stories of the missionary who shows up to some tribe in the middle of nowhere in Africa, and they've already, maybe through dreams and things like that, they've already basically heard the gospel message. Maybe they don't have all the names yet, but they've already... So it's like God has prepared their hearts. Would would a Calvinist say that that was the internal call working on those people's hearts even before they heard the outer call? Yeah, that's a good question because... um, I don't think a Calvinist would would be willing to go into particulars on an individual case because that individual may or may not have heeded the call, so to speak. They might have had the dream. They might have, of, of, you know, kind of connected the dots a little bit, waiting for the missionary to come and tell them, oh, this is about Jesus. But then that they may not respond the rest of the way. I don't know. Certainly the Arminian on the other side would say, yes, God can use all of that as part of the process of wooing and drawing and enlightening people to come to faith. I guess for me, I would think that maybe the, the uh, again, this might, I might be getting in the weeds a little bit, but maybe this is, are there Calvinists out there that use these concepts to talk about people being saved um, in a, I know you said the normal way is that the gospel is shared, but but there's also sometimes the gospel isn't shared. I mean, I think about the apostle Paul, right? When his conversion, he meets Jesus before he even meets a Christian and and hears the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's true. And so I'm not sure how Calvinists think about the, the nuances of it's a, it's kind of a, it's an interesting um, question and argument, but it also depends a lot on on some speculation about that, you know? Um, And so I, I think, I think most Calvinists would say, as much as they might want to go there, they would say, "Well, that would just that would undermine the the um, great commission on Christians to go out and to share their faith and, and to tell people about Jesus." Now, I don't know if, if they would argue most of them whether or not they would argue that yeah, there's room for exceptions in there for someone to to hear the gospel through a dream and respond to the and hit and get the inner call and the elect person is saved. I'm not sure how people. Uh, Calvinists think about those possible exceptions. Okay, but let, but let's press this just a little further. So back to Saul's case. So he he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. He, he he's blinded. At what point? At what point? I don't know if you can answer this, Ross. At what point does Paul or Saul respond to the outer call? And at what point does he respond to the in, inner inner call? Because I I could see someone maybe arguing that. Well, the inner call happened three days before he even met 
Ananias, or right? What, did he go to see Ananias? Ananias, and yeah. I'm assuming that's probably when he heard the gospel presented. So do Calvinists have a perspective on Saul's conversion? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think if in my mind, the answer would be that um, the outer, that the inner call always follows the outer call, or is at least contemporary with it. The inner call doesn't happen before the outer call. I think that would be logically consistent in a way. So Paul goes to Ananias. So Paul was not born again, let's say, on the on the Damascus Road. He was shaken, you know, he was he was shaken in his being and he, he Christ was revealed to him, but he didn't go and understand what that all that meant, probably until he visited with Ananias and Ananias explained the bigger picture and so forth. And so that would be that would be when regeneration took place um, in in the life of Paul. Okay, so just let's stay in the weeds for a few more minutes because the next question is: Could someone, when someone, when a when a chosen person hears the outer call, does that automatically mean that the internal call is going to follow up right away? In other words, can I share the gospel with with the elect with someone who's elect? Now I don't know if they are or not, but I share the gospel with them, and they don't respond to the outer call the first time I share it. They don't respond to the outer call the second time I, I share it. They don't respond the third time, but maybe the fourth time, or maybe it was maybe it was two, five, ten years after the third time I shared it, that finally the internal call comes. So what I'm asking is, in the mind of a Calvinist, is the outer call necessarily always linked to the internal call in the same time frame? Yeah, that's a great question. It's interesting to think about. Now, if you think about it from, I don't, I'm not sure what biblical perspectives there are on that, biblical data that help us to understand that. We see examples in the Bible of people who heard the gospel for the very first time and they're saved. And we see that in our lives too, people that we know. But we also see many examples in life. Um, and maybe this is, you know, your case. It was, I think it's my case is that I heard the gospel. Now, now I'm a believer. So let's say at this point I am elect, regardless of which perspective you know you're coming at. I, I I am a believer, and I heard the gospel, at least in some form or another, you know, before I trusted in Jesus, before I you know believed and 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 um, became a, a Christ follower. So, and other people we know. So I, I think the the I think from that set of data, you would have to say that the internal call could follow maybe a number of examples of external calling or hearing the gospel multiple times. Um, but the, I think the Calvinists would say the internal call is never, would never be postponed. That it's not like you get the internal call when you're 22 and then you finally come to believe when you're 28 or something like that. Because the internal call from a Calvinist perspective is, as we're saying in this topic today, is irresistible, and it is it is associated with the actual bringing spiritual life out of death, the actual regeneration of a person. And so it's not like the idea that, oh, it took a while for the inner call to, to take effect. Okay, so the internal call is irresistible, but the outer call... Even for a for a someone who's chosen, am I getting this right? The outer call is resistible, is potentially resistible, but the internal call is irresistible. 
Yeah. Is that a good yeah, way to at summarize some point, it? The outer call. Yeah, that's a probably pretty good way to summarize it. At some point, the outer call will will become effective. Correct. Right. Because but, of the but, inter, because it's associated with the internal call. But at some we're, point. Yeah, but what we're not saying is as soon as you share the gospel with someone who's elect, that is irresistible. We're not saying that because they might not receive the internal call when you share the gospel with them. Is it? Is that? Am I? Am I summarizing this right. properly? Yeah. To, yeah. No, I think that makes that makes sense. I think that's a fair way to put it, because I don't understand when I'm sharing the gospel with people. I I don't understand what all of what God's timing and God's purpose is, and all of the factors that you know um, that affect that and how that affects other people. And it's not just a, a solo thing about the, that individual. There's also kind of all the network of relationships that they're in and all the things that God wants to do in their life. And, and so there's timing involved. And I assume God's timing is, is probably unknown to us most of the time. Okay. So for the chosen, for the elect, the outer call could potentially be at times resistible, but the internal call when it comes, because that's a Holy Spirit thing, not just a disciple maker thing or a preacher thing. That is irresistible. That's the eye. But for the unelect, the internal call never comes. For the unelect, they never get the internal call. Is would is that how a Calvinist would say it? They never even have an opportunity to to resist it because they never get it. Because they're never gonna they never get it, right? Or or are they because say, they're not chosen <clears throat> by God. There a, a Calvinist wouldn't say that the that the unelect can resist the internal call and the elect cannot resist it. That's not what a Calvinist is saying. No. Right? Not at all. Because then again, not that, not that puts the power in the hands of the human being. And the whole one of the whole right. points behind Calvinism is God's grace never fails to result in the salvation of those to whom it's applied. So when the internal call comes to the elect, they cannot resist it. And the internal call never comes to the unelect. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to resist it either, because it's God's call. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's God's call. It's ultimately God's call. So I think Calvinists, one of the things that Calvinists will always come back to is that salvation is entirely a work of God, that it's only a work of God. It's not, a, it's not some kind of a cooperation between God and human beings. It's, it's, it's basically, um, and so from a Calvinist perspective, to say that I have the free will to choose whether I will believe or not, or to choose whether I want to respond to the to the to the gospel message, that that gives human beings this sense of like, oh, there's something then that is merited, or there's some aspect of what I did did something that earned my salvation, or that or that I had a role to play, and so that takes in the Calvinist mind that takes away from the um, primacy and really the that God is the only one who affects salvation. That salvation is of the Lord, as some a Bible verse says. Okay, so for the Arminian who's jumping out of their skin right now because they're like this, you know, again, I, the Arminians that I talk to uh, on this topic get really fired up, if, especially if they're new to this. So hang in there. We're going to get to the Arminian perspective in a second, but Ross, first, let's talk through some some scripture. I'm going to throw some scripture at you, and I want you to explain it through the eyes of a Calvinist. John 6, starting at verse 37. Those the Father has given me will come to me, this is Jesus speaking, and I will never reject them, for I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me. 
not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those that he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. Yeah, this is this is one of the Calvinist go-to passages in their perspective. And because Jesus says, the those who are given by the Father to belong to Jesus, that they will come to Jesus. It's not, he doesn't say, those the Father has given to me might come to me, or maybe they'll come to me if they choose it. Um, but he says, no, they will come to me because this is the will of God. That Jesus says, I'm not going to lose a single one of them. Not one of them will be lost. And so that that is a strong case for, in the Calvinist mind, for the idea that it's God's will and God's purpose that really trumps everything. And then later in verse 44 in John 6, it says, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. Yeah, so so Jesus, the implication here, Jesus isn't implying that um, God draws everyone. So the Armenian position is God is drawing and calling and wooing everyone. Um, but Jesus is saying here that the only ones that God um, is drawing to me are the ones who will actually come to me, and I, because they're the ones who are going to be resurrected in the last day. All right, Ephesians 2, this is Paul, verses 4 and 5. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Now, I think an Arminian would look at this and say, I don't see irresistible grace in there. How would a Calvinist view this passage? Yeah, Calvinists will, you will view this passage with, the, again, we mentioned this earlier, the emphasis on being dead in sin, that God actually makes people alive. So God loves us so much that even though we were dead, God gave us life. And so, you know, it's like, okay. Then, but see, an Arminian would argue that okay, there, there's that that's God does give life after belief, but but the gen, the Calvinists say, well, there seems to be an order here that um, that I'm dead, and then God gives me life, and then I, I ex- express my faith in Jesus. Okay, Philippians two verses twelve to thirteen says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, Ross, I would, as an Arminian, I would read this and say, this is not talking about salvation This is ta- or conversion. This is talking about once somebody has been converted, God is doing this. God put his spirit in you. But how, does a, how would a Calvinist view this? Yeah, and that's a, that's a fair point to say because he's talking to believers um, and the results of your salvation, he says. But so God is working in people, actually giving them, not just offering them the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And you know, the um, this 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 is about kind of it kind of verges on the thing we're going to be talking about in the next episode. Um, if 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 free will is the most important thing, then what means that what means that God is actually empowering the believer to do what pleases him if at some point the believer doesn't really want to. And so it's, again, kind of what, what is God's purpose and what is the human purpose and how do those two interact with each other? Okay, John 1, verses 12 to 13. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but with a birth that comes from God. So Ross, an Arminian might say, see, look, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right. 
So, so that sounds maybe an Arminian would say that sounds like the outer call because can't can't a can't the unelect respond to the outer call? Yeah. So the but the Calvinists would would argue here that the point here is that spiritual birth comes from it does not come from human decision or human action. So John verse 13 says, they're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or human plan. So so I can't plan or I can't decide to be born spiritually, but it's a birth that comes from God. Uh, children um, are born of God. And so the idea is that this is really God's initiative and it's and a human, it's not based on a human decision at all. All right, one more. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15.10. This is Paul again, and we, we I mentioned his conversion. You can read about it in Acts 9 to our listeners. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. So Saul, are, are you, would a Calvinist say that Saul's a Calvinist? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, so he, so the, the, the idea here, there, they would argue, is that he, he's a believer, and it's all because God poured out His grace. It's, it's all because God did it as a special favor. He doesn't say it's because God poured out His grace, and I believed and I responded. He puts all the emphasis on what God has done, not just partly on what God has done. Okay, so that's the irresistible grace that a Calvinist believes in. So again, they believe that there's an outer call and an inner call, and that only the elect receive the inner call, which is this, which is a, a thing that the Holy Spirit does. And you cannot, once you, once you receive the inner call, you cannot resist it. That's why it's called irresistible, irresistible grace. And Arminian, they wouldn't call grace irresistible they would use a different term. They would talk about prevenient grace. Explain the Arminian perspective, Ross. Right. So again, the idea, the Arminian person will put a lot of emphasis on the f- human free will, that a person has, is going to have the freedom to choose. That God does not overcome or trump just human, the human choice, that they would argue that's not just, and, and so forth. But it, but they'll, they'll look, Arminian will agree that human beings are totally sinful and, and totally need, you know, something. They need to be made alive. They need some God to work somehow. But instead of then arguing that God works in some kind of an of a irresistible way to click, boom, you're done, you're saved, then God, they would say the grace of God then still regenerates and saves sinners, but his grace then doesn't it let's put it this way it doesn't overcome human resistance but it enables human capacity it allows the the person who's dead in their sin and lost and and who doesn't want anything to do with god to um then have the opportunity to exercise their 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 will so the the, the so the holy spirit rather than forcing kind of repentance on anybody the holy spirit is calling people and then he and then God gives them the capacity to choose for or against that gift of salvation. So let's talk let's talk for a second about the order of salvation then with this in mind the order of salvation for an arminian versus the order of salvation for a calvinist because you know we're talking about responding 
do you respond to the gospel message before regeneration or do you respond to the gospel message after regeneration, you know, faith, repentance, all these things as we tie this together. It's one of my favorite things to talk about with with people who are trying to dive into this topic. Russ, how would a Calvinist articulate it? How would an Arminian articulate it? Yeah, and I would before we talk about the order of salvation, then I think I think most theologians would would draw this caveat, would say that it's a logical order and it also implies a um, a sequence, but most people would say that all of this really actually happens essentially at once. That that it's not like oh, you know, you are regenerated and then you believe like sometime later, later on in life, whatever. It might be in in the in the way we think about the significance of each of these elements. There's a, a certain order to it, but really it happens all at once in, in in a person's actual experience. So, what am I talking about? Well. The Calvinist order of regenerate uh, order of salvation starts with regeneration. We said earlier that that the Calvinist doesn't believe that a human being can respond to God until they're made spiritually alive. So regeneration, then faith and repentance would go hand in hand, and that leads to conversion. And so regeneration allows a person to respond in faith and repentance, and then that um, is what brings into effect their conversion or they're actually becoming part of the family of God or part of, of being a regenerated or part of a, a follower of Jesus, let's say. It's the regeneration, Calvinists put regeneration first and put faith later. The Arminians start with faith and repentance. Again, looking at those two things as being kind of the same side of one coin. Faith and repentance, and that leads to regeneration. And then it leads to conversion. It leads to the person's experience of becoming um, a child of God. So you see that regeneration comes first for the Calvinist because um, they don't think that a person can a person's choice will matter, and a person can't make the choice until they've been regenerate. The Arminian faith comes first because they look at regeneration as being the byproduct or the result of that response of faith. Now, so technically, we talked about the outer call. So in most cases, in both, for both the chosen and the, well, well, for both the Calvinist and the Arminian, they would say that the outer call comes before regeneration, typically. That's typically how God works. But then I guess if you're going to back up even more for the Calvinist, they would add one other thing. They would say, well, they would say election that right. Calvinist would say, okay, it's actually election, then outer call, then regeneration, then faith and repentance leading to conversion. Whereas a, an Arminian would say, um, prevenient grace, yeah. outer call, yeah. um, faith and repentance leading to regeneration, which, which leads to conversion. Do I have that right? Yeah, no, that's good. That's, I'm glad you brought in those other elements to kind of give us the full picture. So that's why I asked the question earlier, can a person, from in the mind of a Calvinist, can a person be regenerated? Can they be regenerated without hearing the gospel? Yeah, I, again, I, I, I don't think normally, I think the norm, answer normally would be no. But there, again, there might be somebody could uh, come up with maybe some circumstances where there might be an exception. Mm -hmm. 
Well, again, but even for an, for a Calvinist, they would say, well, regeneration, regeneration happens, and then they respond in faith and repentance to the gospel. So at some point, right, yeah. there's only salvation in the name of Jesus. But that's it's an interesting case study. But you're saying that for a Calvinist, they would say that all of those things happen in the same moment, and it, essentially, roughly, yeah. essentially the same moment. Yeah. So it's not like someone can be regenerated by the Holy Spirit's internal call, which is irresistible. They can't be regenerated, and then 10 years later hear the gospel. Yeah. Uh, no, that, nobody would say, I th- don't think anybody would say that. So then, uh, so then maybe, I think maybe we have our answer to the question about Saul, Paul, in Acts chapter 9, because again, he has this encounter mm-hmm. with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus says, you know, you, you're on the wrong team here. Why are you persecuting me? But he just, he basically just sends, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't share the gospel with Saul. Right. He's, right. he sends him to Ananias. He, Ananias finds him and Acts 9 doesn't really, t- it's kind of interesting. It doesn't really tell us very much about the message that Ananias shared with Saul. It just says that, um, Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to you so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. I mean, does it, does a Calvinist, like, again, this is a little bit in the weeds, but it's interesting because Paul is the one saying a lot of these things. He's the one who's teaching a lot of this stuff. So in retrospect, I wonder if part of this was he's going back and thinking about his own conversion experience, but it doesn't even talk about the gospel being shared. I guess a really intense Calvinist might say, see, look, it's just regen. It's all God's work. He doesn't even need to share the gospel if he doesn't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, the other point of data there is probably Paul's own recounting of what, of his own conversion Mm -hmm. in Philippians chapter three. And, and he doesn't, he tells us how real is, how real is his faith. And he's trusting not in his own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus. And all he's saying all the right things, right? But he doesn't give us the exact timeline. He just says, once in the past, I was pursuing my own righteousness. And he says, bam. And then he says, here's where I, here's where I landed. But he doesn't, he doesn't fill in the little gaps along the way of like saying, oh, this is what this happened when I was on the road. And this happened when I was at Ananias's house. And he just gives us that the bigger picture at that point. Yeah. And honestly, I guess you could even argue that he'd probably heard the gospel before. I mean, he was persecuting yeah. Christians. Yeah. So he'd, he'd probably heard the gospel. You know, you might argue that he had the outer call in a sense, even as he was persecuting these Christians, he was there at the stoning of Stephen. So it, right. it could so be. So he heard what Stephen was saying. Yeah. I mean, it could be that, again, that outer call came before the inner call came for him. But once that inner call came, he couldn't resist it. Um, anyway, it's an interesting case. I've always thought. Yeah, that, that's fascinating to think about. Yeah. Paul's conversion, maybe with your mentor or your small group, for those of you listening, maybe you can talk about that, dig into Acts 9, dig into um the stoning of Stephen, where what is that? Acts seven. Look at Philippians three and some of the other writings where Paul talks about his experience. Galatians, he talks a little bit about it as well. But Ross, let's jump to some some scripture. I'm going to read some scriptures and that maybe a, a, an Arminian would use to support their perspective on prevenient grace as opposed to irresistible grace. So one would be Matthew twenty three thirty seven. 
It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her, under her wings, and you were not willing. Yes, yeah, so the Armenian point here is that Jesus desired these people to come to him, but his desire was thwarted because he allowed for human choice. And the choice that these people made to refuse him, they were not willing. And so that determined their relationship with him. Luke 7.30 says, The Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So let me guess. An Arminian would say, see, look, they could reject it. But a Calvinist would say, well, they're rejecting the outer call, not the inner call. Yeah, that's, that's a fair way to look at that. The idea is it is possible, the Arminian would say, it is possible to reject what God wills because it was God's purpose for them, he says, not just generically, but actually applied, God's purpose applied to them, and they were uh, able to reject that. Okay, another one, John 1, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So I emphasize the word everyone. That's probably what an Arminian would emphasize. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea of this prevenient grace, which is the light going out to to enlighten the heart of everybody to awaken them toward the gospel. And Jesus himself in John 12 said, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And then it says in verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, still they would not believe in him. Right. So there Jesus says he's drawing all people, and yet many chose not to believe. So that that fits into the Arminian perspective on the relationship between the, the, the call, the outer call, and then um, the, the human free will. So then how would a Calvinist interpret the phrase that Jesus is drawing all people? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I really, so, you know, I, I, I lean Calvinist. Mm. Um, oh, it but, finally but came not out. not to the point. It finally came well, out. Well, not to the point. They probably could hear that uh, in, in a lot of the things we talked about, but, yeah. but not to the point where I know all the Calvinist answers for all the Arminian mm. perspectives. And so for me personally, it, it's, it, it's more like these things can live in tension. Mm-hmm. Um, the biblical emphasis on human responsibility and the biblical emphasis on the sovereignty of God, um, they, I, I'm okay with them living in tension. Um, and I, I'm not sure that any system, theological system, has sorted it all out. Now, I know that um, maybe professional theologians or Calvinists or Arminians will be dissatisfied with that. And so, you know, I'm going down in esteem right now as we speak. <laughs> um, but I'm okay with the idea that, look, I, I, can't, I can't connect all the dots because I feel like to do so, I... I probably going to have to leave out something that the scripture says, that no system is completely coherent with everything that the scripture says when the Bible talks about many things that are in tension with each other, like the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus, for example. And so, you know, that's kind of like my approach for what, for, for better, for worse. Well, I think we could say it at the very least that a, that our, a Calvinist would say, that when Jesus says, I'll draw all people to me, he's not talking about the inner call. Because if he was, then all people would respond to it because to a Calvinist, that call is irresistible. So however they explain it, they would definitely say, it's not the same thing as the Holy Spirit 
in inviting us to respond to the gospel. Whatever Jesus is saying is something different from that. Right. And, you know, a lot of times Calvinists will rely on this phrase, and there's some truth to it, that all doesn't mean all. All doesn't always mean all. Mm. Because sometimes there's places where the Bible talks, uses the word all, but in a more of a conditional sense where it means, where he says all people, maybe he means all kinds of people. He means the high and the low, the wealthy and the, and the poor, um, the whatever, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so not at, so Calvinists would say, this does not necessarily mean he's talking about every single individual that ever lived on the, on the face of the earth, but that he could mean all kinds of people, that there's a, there's a, um, a sense of a broadness and a, the scope of his drawing is universal, um, men and women, etc., but not necessarily every single individual. That's an approach that I think sometimes Calvinists will take. And, and there's times when, when the, the language does support that, but maybe not, not every time, maybe. Okay, so either, either they would say all doesn't mean all, or they would say draws isn't the same thing as the inner call, but, but a Calvinist would find a way to understand this according to their, their framework of TULIP. Now, again, I want to just encourage any Calvinist listening, if you have really clear answers to this for us, like, Email us podcast at pursuegod.org. Uh, tell us how you view this and how you how your what your perspective is. Ross, another scripture is Romans two four. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So, how would an Arminian uh, leverage this verse to say that this is about prevenient grace, not irresistible grace? Yeah, it's the idea that the, the, the idea that Paul is saying here is that the kindness of God, the patience of God, is an incentive. It should be an incentive to turn from sin, and so it should convince you that God, you know, is real. That God has done something. That there are many who say well, what he's not saying here is that it's God's will or God's irresistible grace that's intended to turn you from sin, but it's some quality of God that has a convincing property. And this, I think this is a good verse. To me, I think this is kind of summarizes the Arminian's problem with the Calvinist perspective is it just makes God seem mean. It makes God, like he's not giving you a chance, right? You just, you're chosen or you're not, that's it. Where So then, so then how could the kindness of God fit in? Well, it fits in for a, for the elect, but it sure doesn't fit in for the unelect, right? That's that's the argument. I think that's the argument for an arm, and I've heard it many, many times as I've done studies with people. That's the argument. It just it doesn't line up with the the most modern Americans' picture of the God that we have. Whereas in Jonathan Edwards' day, it probably did line up a little bit more with the God of you know the hellfire and brimstone God. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think there's something to that. And not just the hellfire and brimstone God, but, you know, that was a former age, Edwards and others before us, an age where life was hard. You know, nobody had any entitlements. In today's world, our, our culture is full of entitlement. And so, yeah, well, I deserve to, you know, to go to college or I deserve to get a better job or whatever. And so we don't really see the, the uh, maybe the, the nature of God in today's world, because we just kind of see like, oh, yeah, yeah, my will counts. Mm. And, um, you know, what I want really matters. Yeah, that's a good point. 
All right, a couple more. 2 Corinthians 6.1, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's grace and then ignore it, right? So what would an Arminian say about this? Yeah, so in another translation, um, you're reading from the uh, New Living Translation. In the NIV, it says, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Um, if, if God's grace can be in vain or if it could be ignored, then it's not irresistible. Mm. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has been revealed bringing salvation to all people. So this one sounds kind of like the the uh, universal atonement uh, from last time, but how does this relate to prevenient grace? Yeah, this is a good, that's a good point you made. So the idea is that grace brings salvation to all people. And I think the Arminians would say, now, sometimes there's a, now Calvinists would argue that Arminianism will often bleed into universalism. Uh, because you could read this as saying, well, it brings salvation to all people, therefore universal salvation. Everybody will be saved in the end. The Arminian will would, would uh, respond that, no, this is the offer of salvation is universal. And every person has a, has a chance to actually hear the gospel in real terms. So an Arminian would say Titus 2.11 is talking about prevenient grace. That the the grace of yeah. God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. That would be one of their flagship verses for prevenient grace. That's what they're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. All right, one more. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." Let anyone who hears this say, "Come." Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who drinks drink freely, or who, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. So again, this is. Ar- An Arminian is saying, like, why would God end his the Bible with a with an invitation like this, if the invitation really wasn't to everybody? Right. So this is he's talking about. I think the outward call here that it, it's they're saying it's for everybody. I think the you know so that implies a meaningful response from people. I think the um, Calvinists might say that, and this is a, this is an argument that Calvinists will make that the reason. Anybody would hear this and want to come. The reason anybody would recognize their thirst and desire to drink from the water of life is because they're elect and they've been regenerated. It's in the person who has not been spiritually regenerated will never want to ever drink from the, from the water of life. Arminian would say, well, no, that's where the prevening grace comes in because it allows something in the human capacity that's broken by sin to allow to have some some desire for sp- some spiritual reality. So Ross, what's your takeaway on this topic? You know, some of our listeners are new to this. They probably have to go back and listen to this a couple more times to really grasp this whole thing. But I guess you could say uh, on one level you could say there seems to be this huge this huge gulf between a Calvinist and an Arminian. But on a practical level, is there is there a huge gulf between the two of them? Yeah, you know, I think most of the gulf t- takes place in the, you know, classroom, so to speak, or, you know, in the, when we get together, we, you know, bounce around these ideas and we might debate about them or argue about them, whatever, with people that we know. But I think when it comes to experiencing the Christian life, um, I, the, I've known, I've known good Calvinists and I've known good Arminians. In other words, I mean by that people whose Calvinism um, it, they really understand it, and they really under, they really tie it to scripture, and not just have this their system. And Arminians on the same side, you know, they they really honor scripture, 
And, um, and I say, look at a man, you know, your life doesn't look any different from that other guy's life in terms of, um, you know, whether, what, how they're living their life, they're living to honor God. Uh, they, they're living to, um, as a witness for Christ. Um, they they want to, you know, live a, a life that um, is obedient to God. So I think, you know, it's kind of whether or not um, it's regeneration first and then faith and whether or whether it's faith first and then regeneration. At some point, we all agree, hey, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you've been born again. How are you got there? You know, we're, we can debate. Um, but now that you're now that you are there, um, everything the Bible says about who you are in Christ and how you live for God, um, that's that's still that's that applies to both sides uh, of the fence equally. And so the best Calvinist, the best Arminianism look a lot alike when it comes to living the Christian life. And you wouldn't be able, if you, unless you had a conversation, you wouldn't be able to say, oh, that, that guy, oh, I look at his Christian life, he's obviously an Arminian. Or that guy, I look at his Christian life, he's obviously a Calvinist. Because um, regardless of how we understand the nature of God's saving grace, we're still, we're still called to honor God with how we live. We're still called to make disciples who, who honor him as well. And both sides get that and are living obediently to that. All right. Well, that's the I in Tulip and Ross that leaves us with one more, the P, which is no, what is it? Perseverance of the saints, but do some people talk about it differently, right? Perseverance of the saints. And, and so I think a, a word that, a phrase that we want to use in our episode next time is rather, be, rather than that, we're just talking about, is it possible for a Christian to lose their salvation? Mm, mm. That's going to be if a fun one. If I'm truly one. a believer, can I become not a believer? Yeah, that's good. That's going to be a fiery one, and that'll finish up our series. Again, If uh, for our listeners, if you want to talk about this with a family or your small group or a mentor, you can find this in uh, in curriculum form at PursueGod.org. Go to the series page, look up Calvinism versus Arminianism, and, uh, and dive into this with people and, and see what you think God's Word says about this important debate. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.